Hello, and welcome to this episode of Great Conversations. My name is Carly Farrell. I'm a junior here at Indiana University, studying French horn performance and business, and I will be your host for today. With me is Megan Grace. Hi everyone, my name is Megan Grace. I'm a generational researcher, author, and consultant, and I specifically work with understanding Generation Z, and that is our young people um, born between the ages of 1995 and 2010. So all of our college students um, and most of our K-12 students right now. So what was it that drew you to Gen Z in particular? I was a student affairs administrator working on campus and I noticed my students that were coming into my programs as first year students just were acting very differently and not in like, a, this just must be a weird off year, just asking very different questions about college, asking very different um, questions about outcomes and, and what was like going to be an opportunity for them and just their motivation seemed different and their behavior seemed different and how they interacted with me as an instructor and an advisor seemed different and so I started working with um, at the time was my department head like our, our director um, on doing just more informal research and then we realized we were actually working with a different generation and market research was telling us this so market research and, and more corporate research had already defined kind of that this, this new generation was coming um, this post-millennial generation was like growing up, if you will, but there was relatively little research on it, okay. specifically to the college setting. And so we're like, why not us? And so that's how we kind of got into this. And um, so I've always kind of been fascinated with social science in general and kind of the grouping of humans and how culture is formed and the sociological component of that. And so I've really woven that together um, and thinking about what is a sociological and kind of uh, demography of age and how people interact in a collective age group to society. So can you tell us a little bit about the challenges that Generation Z is facing today now that they're all college students going into the workforce? Yeah, so I think some of the things that are challenging is the world that Generation Z grew up in being a heavily digital, um, very infused with technology is really different than what um, older generations grew up with. A lot of us adapted to technology today and Generation Z has never known a world without it. And that in itself I wouldn't say is a challenge. I think it's both an opportunity um, because they can leverage that technology but there's just this difference of viewing technology. And so I think that a big challenge is misunderstanding this generation. Um, they're very lively and, and very, very smart but there can be misunderstanding of this generation by older generations. I think that's a, a first and foremost a challenge. Um, and then there's sometimes this exposure to content online that can seem really dangerous and scary um, that could make young people feel a little bit apprehensive about the world, which is completely, completely warranted. So I think that's, that's two challenges for, for Gen Z right yeah. now. Being a member of Gen Z, I have a more negative outlook on social media right now, mm -hmm. and I think it's becoming, um, it's definitely overtaking our lives a bit. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's more of a positive impact on Gen Z that we're using technology, it's become a huge part of our lives, or do you see the more negative aspects of it? I think just like with anything, you can use something too much and it can cause negative viewpoints on it. I know a lot of people within this generation that are starting to move into a really mindful use of digital media, especially social media, um, and this idea of digital detoxing, that like we've spent so much time in these digital spaces expressing who we are, expressing our emotions, and feeling connected to people that it's like it's almost like too much stimulation. 
that pulling back and being present in the physical world away from digital connections is really necessary. So um, I don't, I wouldn't say that it's like a universally held thing that they are moving away from social media. There's always going to be social media users, but I think that they're learning from previous generations of like how much is too much and what's a healthy amount of use for technology and digital media. How do you think uh, faculty members, college professors, how can they implement a more positive outlook on using technology in the classroom? I think it, sometimes it comes with talking to your students. Um, students are the ultimate end users of the, the information that's disseminated and allowing them to be co-creators of the experience. So talking about like what is the technology that they're using and how can we facilitate learning in that way. Obviously there's always going to be platforms and technology uh, that's utilized within the institution, uh, especially your like your Canvas type sites and right. the platforms that facilitate learning. Um, but there's a lot of other things that can be utilized. So um, sometimes putting it back on students to say, go find a YouTube video that actually talks about this topic and bring it back to the class because it's a tool that everyone can use and share. Um, so first talk to the students or the end users. And then another thing is be comfortable learning some things. Um, I don't think we're ever gonna like regress and go backwards in utilizing technology in education. So how do we help faculty members and how do we help instructors feel comfortable navigating that space? Because I don't think we're ever gonna be able to move students away from these digital settings of learning because that's how Generation Z's always learned is they've always learned from information online and being able to utilize those resources. And so we have to figure out how we can infuse technology but also uh, help it foster really positive in-person connections as well. Do you think that all of our technology use has um, caused a disruption between human-to-human -human contact in real life? Do you think maybe we spend too much time uh, working online or you know using social media apps? Do you think that that has any um, negative impact on us? As a I generation? Wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's negative. I just think it's a different social etiquette. Um, and I, I really don't look at generations negatively. I just say what is different about each generation and where could that cause friction points. Um, so with Generation Z, you've been able to make friends in new ways than any other generation ever has. Like you probably have friends that don't go to school here that you might not have ever met, but you've met online. Um, and that's like really unique and I think really special that you have a more global perspective um, on your friends or maybe even a more national perspective that your friends are kind of distributed all over the place and that's awesome. Um, but spending so much time online changes the way we communicate. It changes uh, the, the uh, how fast we communicate, what we communicate, and, and the ways that we do that. And so I don't think it's necessarily eroded human connection, but there is sometimes less practice of spending time in person, human to human, face to face, where there could be apprehension in social settings from Generation Z. Like there could, they could be less um, comfortable immediately in those, those social settings where they could feel a little bit concerned or uh, a little bit judged because uh, when you live life online, you have a little bit more of a pause time before you put yourself out there than you do in person. Um, you're still going through that same psychological experience. It's just facilitated in a different way. So I would say it's, it's just changing the way that people are interacting in, in person. I think um, there's obviously areas for growth for all generations, but that would be one area for Generation Z of being present in the moment, focusing on real life, physical life mm -hmm. right in front of you, um, 
being different than what life is like online. Okay. Other than technology and social media, what do you think are some other challenges that Gen Zers are facing on campus or, you know, going into the workforce, starting out? What do you think are some generational um, sort of difficulties that we're having to face? I think right now it's a really interesting time. Obviously, it's an interesting time to be a young person in understanding government and politics yeah. and how young people and the youth vote fits into all of that. Um, if you're a young person and you're trying to say, like, I turn 18 and I get to vote, but you feel discouraged by what's going on by our, our national leaders, I wouldn't be surprised if we see people turning away from wanting to engage in a system that is slow moving and people can't get along. So I think that that's a challenge of uh, inspiring civic engagement with this group, that civic engagement might look very different. Um, I think there's a, a real desire to want to do good and to change the world just like every generation has wanted to do so, but traditional forms of doing that through voting and politics might not be the way that this generation does that. Um, I would say an, another challenge is the job market is ever-changing. Um, it's ever-evolving. Industries are rapidly changing. Um, positions that didn't exist five years ago exist today, and sometimes college students might think, like, I'm preparing for a job that doesn't even exist. How do I, how do I prepare for a job that doesn't exist in college? And so what are those skills, developing skills for a future job that we're like, we don't even know what it looks like yet. And so um, I think that it's, it's a beautiful thing to know that industries are evolving, but that is a challenge. Definitely, if you're trying to get the most that you can out of college, to be prepared for your future and whatever career and industry you're going into, but not really having a target on it. So I think the job market is ever changing. I think politics is, uh, a really interesting sticking point of, of how we'll engage young people. Um, I would say those two are our big ones right now. Yeah. So Gen Z, we're, we're in college, obviously, to mm -hmm. hopefully have a career afterwards. What do you think that our professors, faculty members, what can they do to help us with this um, you know, political climate change and job market changing? Mm -hmm. what, what can our faculty members do to help prepare us for that? Because obviously they, they don't know what's going to happen either. Everything's evolving. Yeah. We're all sort of not in the know. What could they do to help us? I think one component of it is, um, we'll, we'll, let's take on politics first. Simple subject, right? Um, that if a, a big thing that's divisive in the United States right now is being able to have a civic, like a truly civic and peaceful conversation with someone that you politically don't agree with. It's difficult. It is. So how can we help young people develop their identity of what their political ideology is and how they feel about issues and feel comfortable to have those conversations? Because if we ever want to progress forward uh, in our country, we have to be able to do that. And so I think first and foremost, how do we help students have these sometimes uncomfortable conversations but really critical conversations and develop that skill set in that area. So um, giving the classroom this aura of a, a, a I don't want to say a safe space, but a comfortable space to have uncomfortable conversations. Okay. Um, I think that's one thing we can be doing. Preparing for these jobs um, that are kind of, we don't know what they're going to look like. Uh, thinking about the skills that employers, regardless of industry, are looking for. So uh, really, what are these um, skills that transcend uh, throughout our job market that we can help students develop. Every employer is looking for young people with critical thinking skills. Every employer is looking for young people that can work collaboratively and effectively with other people. And so how do we infuse these components of skill development 
um, into the different disciplines that are offered. So whether you're political science or you're hard science, like in STEM, or you are an English major, um, you should be able to think critically and be able to work with other people and, and collaborate with other people. And so how do we make that come out? So it's really this beautiful place that faculty have the ability to create these environments that allow students to learn really important critical skills beyond what's going to happen with them in graduation and feel comfortable and confident to do so. Yeah. So you listed off a lot of different yeah, skills there's a lot. that we are sort of expected to have as Generation Z. Mm -hmm. I feel like as a generation, at least in myself and you know my, my peers that I know are also Generation Z, we have a lot to juggle every day. There are lots of skills that we are trying to to create and adapt for ourselves. So um, what, which one of those, which of those skills do you think are most important for us to have um, coming out of college? I think it's gonna be a component of the ability to interact with other people. So if we're gonna take like the civic and uncomfortable conversations and the collaborative conversations of like the skills and the, or sorry, the, the workplace and the political skills, I would say it's spending time with people in person and putting, um, putting in the effort to, to hone in on that because those are things that come with practice, whether you're extroverted or introverted, mm -hmm. um, finding your stride and being able to do that and in navigating um, social settings is, is really important, um, I think, regardless of where you're going. And so that's one of the things that I think faculty members can focus in on. How do I help my students build good relationships with one another and with me to practice some of those interpersonal skills? Okay. I also think our generation's very high anxiety, having to mm -hmm. juggle all of these mm -hmm. things. We, you know, have a lot of, on our plate as Gen Z. There's a lot going on politically, socially, all over the world, globally. Mm -hmm. uh, would you would you agree that, sort of, as a generation, we're pretty high anxiety? There's a lot going on. Yeah, I would say that we are seeing a trend towards more reported mental health concerns mm -hmm. among college students. But I like to say. Uh, that it's not just Generation Z that okay. is experiencing this. Um, previous generations had similar feelings. Mm -hmm. We're just giving young people space to get proper diagnosis, also use proper care and remove stigma along the way. And I think that we have to remember that when we understand a problem more, we're able to identify a problem more and we're also able to solve the problem more. So if we're thinking about anxiety as something that young people are facing, providing positive coping mechanisms for them. Providing positive care spaces is something that is really necessary. And so people will say Generation Z is the most anxious and depressed generation to date. And I said, no, other generations, like anxiety is not a new thing. Mm -hmm. Depression is not a new thing. We're just giving young people the important space to talk about it. Like the very important, like life-saving space to talk about those things. And I commend you all for opening up about that at younger ages because some people go through their life into their mid mid age and are still unable to talk about those things and struggle with it. And you are developing healthy strategies for coping with that, um, that you're gonna be able to take with you throughout life and build that resiliency. So what do you think faculty, professors, what can they do to help sort of alleviate these issues that we're having with mental health, with anxiety, just creating a dialogue? Do you mm -hmm. think that's, we need to be having dialogues with our professors about these things or, um, what, what do you think we can do? I think first and foremost, faculty can be um, ready to support students by knowing where resources are on campus, where services are, um, and making it known that if a student were to come to them saying like, I'm really feeling anxious to the point where I can't per academically perform, that they would be able to say, well, here's some services that are available if you want to go. 
And if you need someone to walk with you, I know where to go. And that's a big step. I think anyone that has, um, you know, sought care for mental health knows that the scariest part is actually finding a place to get help and navigating that system. So faculty, um, and that's a way of putting it, putting it out there, even on the first day of class of like, these are the services that are here to support you and make sure that you're successful. Um, even just stating that in a syllabus, stating it on the first day of class or throughout class, is, is really important. I think dialogue is great, but not every faculty member is gonna be trained in how to navigate that conversation. So um, just creating space that if students are exhibiting signs of like, uh, you know, cumbering anxiety um, or depression, where they can help students get that support and say, it's okay, you can talk to me about it, but I'm also going to suggest that we talk to a professional that can give more appropriate care. Um, it speaks a lot um, to, to say that, um, mental health is equally as important to physical health because yeah. we would never say, oh, well, you have the flu, come to class anyways. Um, we have to think about those things as the same, um, that our physical health and our mental health are very intertwined. Um, right. And health is health is health. So taking care of students should be our first priority. Yeah. Do you think, what, what are some ways that we can sort of implement that idea for mm -hmm. all of our faculty and even our students to have conversations with one another to be more open about mm -hmm. those mental health feelings? Should mm -hmm. we have classes that everyone can go to and sort of practice in that way? Or, you know, um, we have lots of different courses through Canvas, like mm -hmm. Money Smarts is something we use for financial help. Mm -hmm. Could we maybe have something along those lines for mental health as well? Yeah, I think that the more we can distribute opt-in resources for and making those known to students that might seek them out is great. So if there are optional online courses that might talk about time management and stress management, mm -hmm. um, for students that need it and, and are like, I could actually use this learning, they can opt into it. I think that any sort of transitions courses that we are utilizing um, from a student success standpoint, um, having components of talking about it and talking about mental health not as like an acute, like we need to be seeing a full on psychiatrist or whatever acute mental health care might look like because mental health is, it's a scale, it's very individual, everybody takes care of it their own way. And so finding ways that students who want to opt into it or explore it can do that. Um, I think that there's always ways to check in with students without reaching and being like, please tell me about everything going on in your life, but, you know, checking at midpoint or having one-on-one -on -one conversations with students and just being like, you know, how's everything going? What are some of your concerns going on right now? Um, building really, really strong relationships with one another as students to students and faculty to students and faculty themselves, um, role modeling what mental health actually looks like and taking care of that reduces stigma. So um, when we're looking out for one another is a big piece of it. When we're thinking about mental health, students are actually more likely to talk to other students about mental health concerns than they are faculty and administrators. Mm -hmm. So any sort of peer-related education we can do is, is really important as well. So helping fellow students look out for each other. Are there any other challenges you think that Gen Z is facing maybe outside of the classroom? I, we're all here in college. Mm -hmm. College absorbs our lives for the yeah. most part, but there's still the social aspect of our lives. Is there a specific trend that you're seeing in Gen Z, something that um, maybe could be addressed on campus in a different way outside of the classroom? Yeah, so as I've been getting to know Gen Z more, both uh, through research and then interacting with some really awesome Gen Z through my podcast and kind of cool interviews like this, um, is that there's this movement of trying to balance perfectionism and authenticity. And Sounds about right. <laughs> how do you curate that online? Um, and all humans, regardless of generation, whether you were born now or like 
hundreds of years ago, like there's this conflict when we don't feel like we're being our authentic selves. Like psychologically we know something isn't right and it gets really tiring. And I think that we're kind of hitting this boiling point um, and Gen Z's leading the way of like speaking your authentic truth, being okay with it, owning to who you are, owning mistakes, understanding that failure is okay and kind of growing into that gracefully, um, but in a human way because we've lived our lives online and Gen Z is expressing their identities online and expressing who they are left and right um, because they're curating an identity online um, and sometimes fabricating an identity that's not true to who they are. And it's not true to who they are because they're trying to be something else that society's telling them they need to be. Do you think that's solely because of the social media presence that, um, that we have to have? I think it definitely contributes to it. Okay. I can't fully blame it. I think it's exposed us to maybe kind of this societal messaging around like this is an appropriate body type or this is an acceptable body type or this is an acceptable way to act or this is acceptable fashion. Right. And I think Gen Z is actually pushing against that culture more and saying actually the fashion that is for me is the one that I'm dictating. Sure, I'm going to follow trends here and there because I like it as an aesthetic, mm -hmm. but this is what actually makes me feel better. And I think that there's some actually really public Gen Z figures that are leading the way and like, it's okay to be you. Um, sometimes being you and understanding who that is is a complete evolution. And that's always a challenge. That's coming to terms with identity of who you are uh, as a young adult, as a, a teen or, or wherever you're at in life. That, that, that's an uncomfortable phase in mm -hmm. general. But I think Gen Z is pushing against of, it's okay to go against the grain of what is cool. Yeah. And we're, we're owning it. <laughs> yeah, going against the grain of what is cool is now cool, and that's like so meta yeah. of Gen Z, but like it's probably healthy. It's probably a healthier that way of okay. just being who you are is totally cool. Being more accepting of everyone, exactly. all walks of life. Yeah, I, exactly. I would have to agree. I, I do think that there is some um, difficulty in the social media presence, though. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely very expected of us. Mm -hmm. You know, there's oftentimes, um, you know, I hear about someone, I look them up, and I can't find them on social media. Are they real? There's, Are there's you a that, human existing yeah, on Earth? <laughs> that's, that's a real problem, I think, that we face as Gen Zers. Um, would you would you have to agree that that's yeah there's this pressure now for young people that if you're going to exist on this earth you have to exist in the digital world too mm -hmm. and you have to live in two spaces and while that seems feasible like I don't know if the human brain actually has fully like evolved into being able to balance both of those things I think Gen Z is probably our closest generation to be able to uh, as gracefully navigate that but mm -hmm. there is this pressure with Gen Z that you have to be almost two people. Yeah, Sometimes, there are two, two worlds actually, yeah. I mean more than two depending on which social media outlet you're using. Who you are on Instagram is going to be different than who you are on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, at least with my personal experience and experience um, that I've received from my peers, that's it's really difficult to navigate those different worlds that you're living in all yeah. at once. Yeah, and you're, you're, you're split, you're like in two places and um, it's it's kind of like how I, I, I don't know how to fully like summarize it because it is it's so interesting of the way you're splitting your energy your time your expression your or you're duplicating it and it takes a lot of energy it takes a lot of mental energy and space and emotional space too to be present and to be connected um, to people here and online is a lot um, but it's again it's kind of this double-edged sword because some people need both of those connections 
What do you think that universities and faculty and educators, um, specifically, what can they do to have more of a presence mm -hmm. online to, mm -hmm. to connect with us more? I think it's a matter of we can all benefit from being our authentic selves online um, and not putting off this, like, I'm, I'm a prestigious researcher and I don't actually have a life outside of that. That's not true. Like, you might have a family, you might have pets, you might have hobbies that students and other people actually would care about. I'm not saying you have to publicize your whole life, but I think the people that are most successful online um, in trying to connect with students are the people that A, give them the space that they need to to be in like their peer-only platforms, and then B, where we're existing in multi-generation multi like spaces, is just being real people. Do you think it's really okay humans. for students and educators to be um, to be talking on social media, say Facebook, if I friended one of my professors or if they prefer mm -hmm. friended me? Do you think that's something that um, is happening more often? Do you think it's something that is appropriate for for our times? I think there's definitely certain places, and it's more so like I encourage faculty and administration to like give Gen Z what I call their, their peer only spaces. So okay. we probably don't need to be on Snapchat with you. Like that's your space for your friends. Um, if I want to connect with students that want to connect with me, there's other places that I think are more acceptable for multi-generational uh, communication. I know that Gen Z is like actually given a resurgence to LinkedIn, which I think is a perfect yeah. place for that to take place. Um, to have more of a connection with faculty and staff. Twitter is also a place where um, we're seeing more faculty move because it's a little bit more public and it's less, um, I would say less intimate than maybe like Snapchat or Facebook might be. Okay. Um, I think it ultimately comes down to having like an in-person conversation about what people feel comfortable with. So when I was instructing students, I definitely had Gen Z students that are like, can I add you on Snapchat? I'm like, nope. And they're like, why, you don't wanna be my friend? I was like, I think for right now, I want to navigate this as we uh, we have a professional working relationship that okay. I'm your instructor. I want to know about your life and I want to feel invested, but for where I want to be invested in your life, I think it would be more appropriate if we were connected maybe on LinkedIn or we were connected maybe on Twitter or we were connected on these places that um, are less intimate, like less peer oriented because I'm not, I wasn't th their peer at the time. Right. And then as they've moved on, they've graduated, we've actually developed mentoring relationships and we've developed friendships and that's very different. Yeah. So, but that warranted having an in-person conversation first about okay. what was comfortable for me, what was comfortable for them. And that's actually just a human conversation in general about communication preference. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's very important to definitely have that in-person in conversation mm -hmm. about it rather than just friending someone. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's definitely great advice for faculty members and, and Gen Zers alike. And I think faculty conversation. Yeah, and I think faculty members might feel the pressure that they have to be online and they have to be everywhere. And I really think like just be the place that you can do the best service to who you are and the people that would follow you. Yeah. I think LinkedIn is certainly essential. That's something in the Kelly School of Business. I've had Kelly courses where we made our LinkedIn profiles mm -hmm. and we kind of spiced it up a little bit and we friended some of we you know we friended the professor that taught the course and mm -hmm. I think LinkedIn is certainly that professional environment that Gen Z has um, you know uses every single day. I use it all the time. It's how I've it's how I've um, uh, hooked up with some people who. Um, had uh, internship opportunities, and I think it's definitely a great professional platform. Well, and I think it's also, it's becoming like what some people would call intellectual Facebook, mm -hmm. that the things that are shared are in some ways higher quality in terms of like thought leadership pieces and resources. 
Um, it's less entertainment, but it is, I really enjoy going through my LinkedIn feed because it is, it's super multi-generational, so I'm getting a lot of things from different people of different stages in their career and sharing kind of the things. I was like, ah, oh, I didn't realize I was making like that email faux pas. Like that's, that's really helpful for me to know. Mm -hmm. um, and the resource sharing that takes place, and I think in a really organic manner, is really important. So 10 out of 10, I encourage LinkedIn. So would, would you recommend that faculty members, educators, get LinkedIn and uh, link up with their students through there? If they're comfortable with it. Okay. Um, and not every student's gonna be on social media. So we talked about digital detox. Some people feel like they don't need to be there and that's not their space. Again, if it's you have to go where you are comfortable, um, both as a student and as a faculty member, that's going to be most conducive to uh, what you want to get out of the experience and then also what is going to make you feel better about things. So if you choose to not have a social media presence at all, mm -hmm. whether you're Gen Z, if you're an educator, a professor, um, what sort of advice would you have for those people who decide not to have that presence that's become such a huge part of our lives? Yeah, I actually have like one of my best friends is on no social media and they're always like, I've never seen that person and like that you like hang out with all the time it's not on social media. Like, how do you talk to them? I was like, we've just sorted it out. Like, we've talked like person to person about what makes sense and like communication preferences. It's oftentimes the assumption of how we think people want to communicate is where we come into miscommunication. Okay. And so, like with this friend, he was like, I'm gonna step away from Snapchat and some other things. Like LinkedIn's gonna be my only social media. I wanna support you in the ways that I can professionally, but I don't feel like I need to be anywhere else. Cause he was like, I don't feel good when I'm on other social media. And I was like, well, first and foremost, as a friend, I want you to feel good. Yeah. Um, and so we connect in other ways, text message, Gchat, emails, like we're still very connected. We talk multiple times a week. And so it's a matter of being able to understand how each platform makes you feel and what's your method that works best for you. And then being able to articulate it to people of like, I actually prefer not to use that platform, but like, please connect with me here. Or this is a, a preferred mode of communication be able to say that. I don't think there's any shame with people that aren't on social media. Right. Um, you're still living your human experience. Yes. You're just doing it in different ways. It's the most most essential is that you're you're living your human life. Mm -hmm. You have friends outside of online. I think that's also a very important thing is, mm -hmm. like you said, the human contact that comes first, face-to-face, mm -hmm. -to, -face, to be able to have those conversations. Those are the skills that we are here hoping to create for when we eventually leave college and go to the workforce. Yeah. Do you have any other? Um, do you uh, have any other ways to create a dialogue about these different generations, sort of specific things that Gen Z is facing right now with mental health and social media? Um, how can we create a dialogue on college campuses about these things? So a dialogue among faculty, educators, or students, or all, all of them. All of them. All of them. Um, let's see. I would say. A component of it is don't, like, the first thing we can do is not place an assumption on someone. So this is like me speaking as a millennial where a lot of assumptions were placed on me and my peers, my peers and I. And that really led me to wanting to work in this kind of space of advocating for other generations that we can measure and start to think about how there's collective behavior in certain areas. But if I can't look at you and be like, you're Gen Z, you're gonna fall into all of these boxes and I'm gonna predict your behavior because it's not really, it's helpful to know what's going on as a trend or what's going on as like a growing theme around a group, but to apply that assumption can be really dangerous. 
So first, like understand what's going on with this generation, but then also take the time to know people as they are individuals that make up a collective group. And so getting to know people one-on-one -on -one in your classes, in small groups is, is really critical. I think that that actually provides more illumination around some of the issues that Gen Z is facing. So as much as I can study and look at the staggering trends of mental health, like reported diagnoses, um, it's so personal. Like you need to know the lived experience of an individual to actually understand what's going on underneath all of that. Um, to understand why Generation Z is flocking away from Facebook and onto other platforms, we can't just make an assumption. Like we need to ask like, what was your decision to not use Facebook as much and maybe move over to TikTok? Or what was all of that? Because it is, it's individual behaviors. And so I think it's really helpful to just move into a space where you can build a relationship and just have really good conversations. Do you have any final thoughts about Generation Z that we didn't get to touch on? Yeah, Generation Z is, uh, what I've learned is, a, I'm hopeful for who they are as a collective group of young people, the, the way to put that. Um, I think that they are at this nexus of all of these really, like as much as the world seems scary and terrible, I think they're a generation that is the most energetic, most informed and fired up to do good things for the world. And as someone that's a member of an older generation with a privilege to advocate for them, um, I think that that is something that older generations can take the time to get to know what's going on with young people to help pave a way for them to do the good things they wanna do. And that's, uh, that's what I think my, my closing thought would be is take the time to get to know the young people of today because if we put them in the right positions to do good things, they'll, they'll change our tomorrow for really positive, so. Thank you for being here with us, Megan. Thank you. It was a pleasure to have you on Great Conversations. Thank you.